Welcome to Bleacher Brawls. This is John, your host for the night. I got Michael. It's a Stripes episode. Uh, really, a Stripes Big Blue episode, because I think we're going to be talking a lot of Giants in the NFL. Um, we're happy to have you tonight. Excited to talk, despite how bad the Yankees have been lately, and the Yankees have been bad. I'm so excited, because there's a lot to talk about. A little about the Yankees, a lot about football. So let's just jump right into it. Our first pitch to get started. As we all know, Michael, you had a, not your wedding, but your friend was getting wet, married. So big wedding this weekend. That's always a good time. Like, so tell us about it. How do you have a good, tell us about your weekend, man. Some of the highlights. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. Uh, it was good. I had a lot of fun. One of my good buddies got married, so I got to be in the wedding. Um, real nice venue in Cincinnati. Um, and I, I was going to say, so. As good as it's going to get with the Yankees kind of, you know, disappointing us as, as much as they can. I would say it doesn't get any better at that, at that point. But, um, nah, man, yeah, like you said, looking forward to football season. I think it's officially put a fork in it. I think the GM finally said so. They're bringing in the young guys. So, um, yeah, that's a, I guess that's all we got to look forward to is just getting these guys. Hopefully see what we have. Yes, definitely. So, uh, I was thinking about the wedding. Now, I haven't really had to – weddings have been different for me over, obviously, the past decade or 15 years. Oh, closing in on 15 years. Um, you know, I've been with my wife, so it's like it's just different now. You know, we've been married for a while. I've been with her for a long time. So, uh, But it did get me thinking back to being younger in my 20s and going to weddings back then. And it just reminded me of a funny story of uh, a friend of our, mine and Luke, uh, our, the third musketeer in our um, – in our college group, I've mentioned him on him before. I remember he was get he was the first of us to get married. Him and his wife Katie had been together um, since college, since like our sophomore year of college. Um, and I just remember now I was dating this girl at the time, this Brazilian girl, and she. Um, I was starting to see signs that she was not the one. It was it was starting to become pretty clear. And but it wasn't like at that point where I was like ready to break up with her or anything. We're still kinda like having a good you know, still like a good relationship, sort of. And but there were signs there, it wasn't gonna last. And um I know this I'm I'm telling the story because I have a question for you at the end. So basically I knew going into this wedding, like there's a couple signs, but going into this wedding, I realized that like you when your friends start getting married and you start going to weddings with your girlfriend, whether you plan on marrying her or not, you're going to be talking, she's going to be basically nagging you and hassling you. Oh, when are we getting married? Or start dropping hints. Like it's coming. And I remember thinking as we were kind of heading into this wedding, there was like three or four reasons I really needed to break up with her. And that was one of the reasons. Cause the thought of going to this wedding with her and then having to listen to her nag me about getting married or like, what are we going to do is blah, blah. I couldn't deal with that. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to be able to do this. Like she's going to drive me up a wall. So I'm just going to end it now. And uh, yeah, I, that was my reason for breaking up with that girl or one of the main reasons breaking up with that girl. Cause I just, I was not going to be able to listen to what was coming. So now I don't want to say by any means, I, you seem like a happy guy. Like you have a good girlfriend. I just have to ask, has a hint been dropped yet? <laughs> yeah, man, I was going to say, I think uh, more girls nowadays, too. I think it's, like, maybe talked about a little bit more earlier than it should be. Um, I mean, it's, uh, it's definitely good to talk about, and that's really all it's going to be. I think I looked out because um, I'm, like, 29, so my girlfriend's just turned 24, 
she's you know a little bit different spots in her career. You know, I think marriage isn't like the first you know the first thing on her mind uh, when she wakes up. But I know it's coming. Um, obviously, honestly, the biggest person I hear from is my mother. Um, I have a young <laughs> yeah, <there> you go. <laughs> uh, yeah I have a younger have a younger sister who is uh, not too much younger thirteen months but she is younger and she's married got a kid so she's uh she's a little bit ahead of me in that department <laughs> but um not nah, man I mean I, I'm more of a uh, take my time you know if I, you know gotta enjoy the video games and the uh, late night sports watching it as much as possible. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's a good point. That's awesome. So at least you're like, it's just from your mother then. And I understand that. We've all been there. We're Italian and we know what that's like. Um, yeah, yeah so, talking about, they got the grand, they got the uh, grandkid uh, kick right now because they just had their first grandkid. So uh, they want more. Nice. Well, congratulations. But yes, they, they just, it never stops. And you know, no matter how many grandkids you get, get them, they just, oh, well, maybe one more. Like, well, are you going to be staying up with this kid? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. I don't feel like being up at 3 a.m. every single night. <laughs> oh, man. So, man. So, let's get into it. We're going to, no reason to delay the inevitable. And we have Derek, who's going to be jumping on a little bit when he's free. I guess, I believe his college, or at least freshman orientation, might have started this week. So, he's at college, so he's running a little bit late, just kind of doing his thing. He's going to jump on. But there's no reason to have Derek on for this conversation about the Yankees-Red Sox series. He's a Red Sox fan. Like, I don't – his opinion right now doesn't matter. This Yankees-Red Sox series sucked. And now, Michael, you had a wedding going on. For the most part, like, that's really nice because if you have a reason to miss a series, like, that's a good one. So, I'm assuming maybe you caught some highlights at the most, but I doubt you would have had time to watch the whole game, right? Oh uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely was paying attention. Uh, one of my other good buddies, who was also in the wedding, is a Red Sox fan, so um, you know we would definitely had our phones out as much as possible, just checking on scores. We weren't necessarily watching, but um, I quickly uh, let's just say he was checking his phone longer than I was because I quickly put mine. I quickly put mine away. And, uh, you know, sports betting is legal here in Ohio too, so I thought I had the end. I thought you know oh, they're gonna. You know, the Yanks got to, you know, get out of this slump. They're at home. They've already been embarrassed by the Red Sox this year. So I had, you know, I, I you know, put all my uh, uh, coins on uh, the Yanks to kind of end the slump on Friday or whatever the first game was. And, uh, again, I quickly stopped looking at my phone a little bit quicker than my friend. <laughs> yeah, it was tough because those first two games were over before they started. It was like the Yankees take the field, the game is over. Um, they, they basically should have just been mercy ruled, uh, Friday and Saturday night. Sunday, I went to, uh, me and Luke were going to watch the game together. Um, and we ended up getting our families together because, uh, you know, our kids hadn't seen each other in a while. Our wives hadn't seen each other in a while, or at least since May was, I think the last time we were all together. Luke and I have met up at Torchies, um, just to hang out since then but i think last time the families all the, our families were all together was may so we went in there watched the games together it was for the most part like a good game to watch together because it was close like those first two games were blowouts there would it would have been terrible um this game was close and you know obviously i don't want to see the yankees get swept but i realize what this team is and i just have to say so i expected i knew the yankees could potentially lose it wasn't crushing for me as much as you don't want to lose to the Red Sox. It's not crushing because they're a bad team right now. Um, 
Luke celebrating like the Red Sox won the World Series was just, uh, it's very indicative of what Boston fans are. And like they hate them, they hate us more than they love, them, love themselves. I think they hate themselves too. So I got a little tongue twied there, tongue twied there, but it's a Freudian, Freudian slip. Um, it was just, that's what Boston is. Like all these guys in our chat were celebrating and so excited because the Red Sox swept. Really one of the worst teams in baseball. Since the All-Star break, the Yankees have been among the worst teams in baseball. It's like the A's, the Rockies, the Yankees, they are all in the same group right now. Can't win a game. So, uh, yes, you did beat the Yankees. You did sweep the Yankees. But celebrating like it was the World Series was just, that's low class and it lacks integrity. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, I, I, I've never met a group of guys uh, root for the Houston Astros again, but uh, they are oh. playing the Boston Red Sox this series, and I'm pretty sure they beat up on them yesterday. And it looks like they're up three nothing now. So, uh, you know, keep banging on those trash cans as long as they beat this team. Like, I, yeah, that's what's really terrible. It's having to watch a four game series between two teams I despise, and realizing in the scenario. Like, I am rooting for the Astros because the Red Sox guys drove me so crazy. By Like, they just won the World Series by sweeping the Yankees. So now it's like I actually feel like I have to root for Houston. And it stinks. I can't stand Houston. Um, but you are right. Yeah, I just checked the score. 3-0, like you said. So that's good. Uh, Pax, James Paxton, that bum, got just beat up last night by Houston. I know he's the best pitcher on the Red Sox. And... You know, I know there's a lot of belief that he could really, he, he, he can avoid the IL for the rest of the season. I'd be surprised just because he's a pansy that quits really easy uh, and quits before playoff games. I, I can't stand Paxton. I was going to say, so you, I thought you were going to bring it up earlier. The one thing I will say, because obviously, like, you never want to get swept, but, like, with this season already being the worst, you know, possible losing seasons first since, like, 1992 or something like that. Um, I mean, the one thing you at least will go into the offseason, if we do, if you know, as we did get swept by the Red Sox, is it's more ammo to fire Cashman and let go of Boone if they so choose, but more or less fire Cashman. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, like if they went in and reversed and swept the Red Sox, they'd be talking, you know, there's be some Yankee fans talking about like, oh, there's still a chance to catch the wild card. We're, you know, we're only seven games back instead of 10 or nine, whatever it is. But, um, no, I, I was going to say, I'm not saying I was rooting for the sweep Sunday, but when they lost, I was just like, worst, you know, so what if we would have won? The Red Sox already trounced us two games before. They won the series. You know, we, well, we would have uh, snuck by with a, you know, 1-1 one, one win. Who cares? But at least when they lost, we could say, like, you know, they got they got swept, and that's that's just about as embarrassing as it gets for, for a GM of this, you know, this caliber. Yes, and that's what I. Th that's another thing I thought. Like I'm trying to take some silver lightings out of this uh, season, or and that was kind of one of them. If the Yankees keep getting embarrassed, if they really just keep losing, if they play this bad baseball down the stretch, gets swept by the Red Sox again in a couple weeks when they play again, if all these things keep happening, it gets harder and harder to ignore the fact that Brian Cashman spent like. $270 million of Hal Steinbrenner's money, and this is what he's getting back in return. Uh, and even Cashman's excuses. I mean, he loves making excuses. There, I, I, There's only so many excuses you can make. Like, There's still some really 
in theory, really good players on this team that just aren't producing. And uh, the 1992 thing you just mentioned, 29 years old, you just missed that season, right? This would be like the first, like the worst Yankee season of your life, right? <laughs> yeah, I was born in 94. Um, so, yeah, I was going to say this. I've, I've, obviously, uh, there's been some embarrassing seasons, don't get me wrong, but um, this one, this one, I've never felt like, you know, this kind of taste in my mouth, let's say. Yeah, it's a bad one. And I lived through those uh, 90, early 90 seasons, and this one just still sticks different. So I was born in 82, so I actually just technically missed uh, the 81 World Series by really just a couple, like what, a month, two and a half months. Um, and then I, uh, so, and then obviously, but the cool thing was I was born in 1982, Don Manley's rookie season was 1982. So that was always awesome for me. So then, like, that, like, eight, seven, eight, nine, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, uh, that 89, 90, 91, 92 stretch. Like, I was just so young, um, hadn't really, like, I don't want to say, like, I still had crushes on, like, Miss Elizabeth and Wonder Woman and, um, the chick from The Fall Guy, Heather Thomas. Like, I love those broads, but for the most part, I was still young enough where I didn't know what women were, like, that much. So I wasn't fully distracted, and all my attention was going to, like, baseball, especially during baseball season. And I lived and breathed baseball. I had a dad tell me all about these World Series that he won. And as a Yankees fan, it's your birthright to win all these World Series. And uh, I was going through some of the worst years of the Yankees, like, during that stretch. And my dad, like, I love my dad, man. And watching baseball games with him is fun because he gets mad. And, uh, <laughs> like, he wasn't having it during that stretch. So I did live through those bad years. Um, I was a kid, so maybe it's different. But this year is just different. It's so, like, you kind of knew they were going to be bad. Like, as a kid, I hoped they'd be good. But my dad kind of recognized, like, hey, no, don't get too excited. They're going to be a bad team. Uh, this year, it was like they should have been a playoff team. I still think they should have been a playoff team. And I think the way they managed the season kind of was a failure. Because we talked about, and they talked about it on the, you know, on the Yankees broadcast themselves. Michael K would bring it up, how the Yankees are managing for October. Like, they're not going all out early in the season. And don't sweat April and May because they just want to be healthy for October. And... It seems like that strategy just blew up in their face, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. And uh, the more and more I listen to Michael K, the more and more I think he's just as delusional as they come. Uh, I, you know, he's one of those guys that sticks up for the GM and the, you know, the coaching, and one of those guys that was originally saying, you know, there's still time, there's still time. Makes no sense. But um, no, man. I mean, you're saying, you know, can you imagine spending? Uh, you know, two hundred seventy-seven million dollars. I think it's like the second highest payroll this year, and you know, being having just being below five hundred is should you know, it's just sacrilegious. But um, I saw I was reading an article earlier before we hopped on. John Carlos Stanton, he's uh, owed twenty-five million this year, and uh, they took his stats from like last year. I think last summer after the All Star break, since last summer I should say, he's hitting like one eighty-four. Um, he strikes out one third of those at bats. So, I mean, like, that's a guy you're paying $25 million to this year. You know, first year of his contract looked like it was a great signing, and I think it's digressed since then. And it's only going to get worse the older he gets and the less of, you know, the outfield he's going to play. So, um, yeah, we're not in good shape. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Stan, I saw that. And Stanton has a negative war. It's not, like, super negative. It's, like, zero 
It's negative 0.1 maybe or something like that. I'm not, don't quote me on it. But he has a negative war. So if you just ran out the average player, like in theory, they should be producing more than Giancarlo Stanton. And I guess that makes sense because sadly, I do feel like Jake Bowers has contributed to this team more this season than Stanton did. And I really was expecting big things out of Stanton. It's crushing. That MVP season he had right before the Yankees acquired him, it's... It was an aberration. Like, this guy, you thought he could have had Hall of Fame potential. Like, he does not. He has Hall of Bust potential. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, you know, July 4th, so, like, what is it, like a month and a half ago, we were 10 games over five, uh, ten games over 500. Mm-hmm. With, like, a few games before Redonda come back. Like, you know, we thought, like, all right, this is where we turn it around. You know, we're going to get uh, – it's just it's been bad. Um, yeah, and you mentioned Radon. Shoot, like he actually didn't have pitch a bad game tonight. Um, yeah, he he didn't get shelled, so that was positive. Again, so Washington Nationals, but Radon six innings and one earned run. He only struck out one guy. I didn't realize that, and he did give up six hits, but one run, <laughs> one run, no walks. It's positive. Uh, and his be- his best game of the season. Yeah, right. His best game of the season. Six hits, yeah. one strikeout. Oh, man, that's money well spent. Another embarrassment. All right, so embarrassment, embarrassment, embarrassment. I've had enough about embarrassments. I want to talk about the New York Giants. I want to talk about something positive. A team that is, we were talking right before we jumped on, underdogs. I, I really think they're looking, they're going to view themselves as underdogs. This is a team that nobody's really giving a chance. Everyone thinks, oh, well, they are going to take a step back because they have a more difficult schedule than they did last year. Well, you know what? First-year head coach last year, a quarterback that wasn't a rookie, but like still in his first his first year in that system, first year with that coach, uh, and big a lot of question marks. Like I will make the argument that the Giants, I feel last season, like you can say they had an easier schedule, but those were still hard games. Those were games that they they weren't expected to win anyway. Just like they're not expected to win this, these the games this year. Like they're saying, oh well, they're outmatched this year. They were outmatched outmatched last year, and they were over able to outperform that. And I know another big stat I heard was the Giants' record in one score games was like really like they it really favored them. And teams are saying you can't count up, you know or the critic, I shouldn't say teams, critics or whatever, the talking heads are saying you can't count on that again. But I do think you can attribute some of that to coaching, which is really, I think, what has us all excited. Um, I'm super pumped for this season. And, Michael, as we talked right before we jumped on, Giants, uh, the, uh, the FanDuel over-under for the Giants win total is 7.5, which I think is insulting. So you tell me. Why? Why is that insulting? <laughs> yeah, man, it's, it, it it is insulting. Um, a because I think like, I mean, even if you think last year was a fluke, the the NFC normally just beats itself up. So right then and there, you got to figure that's at least three, four wins. You know, you get one against the Cowboys, hopefully two against Washington, and you you know you hopefully you win one, lose one with Philly. Um, that's a few wins right there, and then you're gonna tell me that. They win three other games the rest of the season. Um, I don't know. It seems like Vegas wasn't paying attention to, like, the culture that that coach Dayball built last year. Um, I mean, I think there's a reason why, like, you got some of these retired guys that said, like, 
you know, if I'm if I'm going to come back, it's going to be for Brian Dayball. Like it's, I'm going to I'm going to come back and play for the Giants. Um, I know Gronk had came out and said that uh, when they asked him about coming back for retirement. But uh, I mean, I don't know. It, it seems to me like I'm, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to bet the mortgage on it. Um, I think I think it's silly. I mean, I might come back on here, uh, you know, at the end of the season and look like a fool, but um, I highly doubt it. I think they're building a winning culture. Um, and then, you know, you look at the preseason game. I know it's just preseason, but, like, you know, it seems like the, they got the offense going in, in the right direction. Um, you know, Daniel Jones throwing crisp passes. It looks like he's he's got his head on straight. He knows where he's going. Um, say, they signed Saquon Barkley, and I think he's going to have a real big chip on his shoulder. Um, Darren Waller, new addition. So, I mean, they got Daniel Jones some weapons. Uh, we said it last week. If they can keep him upright, I think this team is going to be, like, you know, not your mom and pop New York Giants football team. I think you're going to be a little bit more like, you know, the Cincinnati Bengals, Kansas City Chiefs, high-powered, high, you know, high-speed, you know, score 30, 40 points a game offense. Uh, that's my prediction. Um, that's, how I think, where this, you know, where Dave Ball's got this team going. Um, and then, you know, I think another year under Wink Martindale on defense, too. Like, I think last year was just like the, you know, just scratching the surface. You got a lot of young guys, a lot of defensive guys coming in, coming back. Um, I, I'm predicting at least double-digit wins. And I really agree with that. I think the, I think the Giants, for so many reasons, and a lot, all the reasons you just said, are really going to continue to take another step forward. I don't see them taking, uh, taking a step back in the win column. I see them taking a step forward. And I love that you mentioned the culture early on. I was reading an article on the New York Post today about – just to really elaborate on that, the culture of the Giants, that Lawrence Cager, tight end that came over from the Jets, he has seen tremendous progress. This coaching staff is seeing... Sorry, I had uh, an ad start playing in the background while I had something pulled up. Lawrence Cager comes over from the Jets, and they're saying he's making tremendous progress. The coaching staff feels that he's making tremendous progress based off, and he's, he said he's made tremendous progress since he came to the Giants. And they asked Lawrence Cager about that, and he said Darren Waller has taken him under his wing and doing everything he can to bring him up a level. And to hear that, you see a guy like Darren Waller, not necessarily like at the end of his career, but definitely a veteran, to really step in and not see the young kid is a threat, but to see him as potential, like let's bring him up. Let's get him up to the next level. Uh, I really think that's a sign to who Darren Waller is. And it's a sign to what the giants culture is right now. Um, the other thing I really, I noticed today was our, uh, I guess Darius Slayton had two touchdown passes and was it the preseason game or was it the, um, yeah, I believe it was the preseason touchdown is either preseason or touch or practice. But Darius Slayton, two touchdowns. He said he's looking good. For the longest time, I have kind of been like, yeah, Darius Slayton's all right. Like, I like him, but, like, I think he's a bit overrated. I think his stats are maybe a bit padded just because the Giants weren't that good. But now he's coming in, and he's still, he's playing pretty good under Coach Dable. Like, you know, last year was, I think, I don't think Joe Shane really wanted Darius Slayton on the team. I don't think Dable you know, like early in the season, Slayton wasn't really doing much. I don't think Dable saw much in him. 
but he certainly proved himself as time is going on. So, you know, my question to you, Michael, you think, what's, what's your thoughts on Darius Slayton? Have, have you been a fan since the beginning? Are you kind of more like with me, where it's like, ah, maybe a little under, a little overrated? But now he's certainly proving himself. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I've been pretty high on him just because I think, like, the, the biggest rap he got was his hands. Like, I think he just had an issue catching the ball. Um, I think his rookie season, he came, he bursted out of the scene, and we thought, like, oh, we, you know, I, I remember thinking, like, damn, we might have something in this kid. And then he kind of fell off the year after that. Um, but honestly, I t- attribute that more to, like, not protecting Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones being on the run for 95% of his quarterback dropback passes. Um, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I'm not saying Darius Slayton is, you know, the next, uh, um, Hill, but I also don't think he's better than like given. I think I'm happy he resigned. I know he's happy to be a giant. I think he took a team friendly deal to remain a giant. Um, so that always helps. Um, I don't know if you follow him on Twitter, but he's definitely a, uh, Daniel Jones supporter. He's one of those guys that does not tolerate Daniel Jones slander. Um, he will go after anyone that, you know, comes after his quarterback. So, um, I think that says, like you said, to the coaching, the culture they built, um, I'm a fan. I'm happy he's back. I think he's got a lot of talent and a lot of upside, but he's just not as reliable as you want to see. And I like, and I like the fact that he does seem to be such a hard worker. And I like that they do have what seems to be a very hardworking wide receiver core, right now because that's kind of what their wide receiver cores in those last two Super Bowl runs uh those were some like really like they had some gamers on that team you know we all like I think we Plaxico gets a bad rap because he shot himself in the leg but like Plaxico was like a really like hard working he went out there physical receiver that didn't get like he hated getting beat uh and then you had you know, Steve Smith was just a tough kid that went over the middle. Toomer was that veteran. And um, David Tyree, we all remember the helmet catch. I, wel- I want to welcome Derek. Obviously, that's a perfect time. I'm bringing up the helmet catch. I want to welcome Derek on. I'll finish my point and we'll get to Derek. Um, but you had, like, I, and Slayton kind of is starting to remind me of that David Tyree gamer kind of thing. And then that second run, you know, you had Hakeem Nix, you had Mario Manningham, you had Victor Cruz. And I just remember, I always remember that some of the catches uh, Manningham made, not only in the Super Bowl, but in the playoffs leading up to the Super Bowl. And I don't know, I get that. I get David Tyree, Mario Manningham vibes from Darius Slayton right now. And I that is an utmost compliment. So, Derek... Oh, go no, Michael, go first. We'll finish the Giants and we'll welcome in Derek. I was gonna say, yeah, I, I was gonna say, I think I'm more like, and I don't want to like disrespect Amani Tumor because like he's like, especially like how old I am, he's one of like the first receivers that I ever like, you know, worshipped and like, you know, wanted his jersey kind of thing. Like one of those guys that makes you wish, you know, man, I wish I could lose 50 pounds and play wide receiver and not be an offensive lineman. But uh, no, but. Um, I kind of get him on it too, revised. Maybe just the build and like how you know the quick speed, but like I feel like the routes he's on, like he's a deep, you know, he's become at least you know it's not saying much because the Giants haven't had much wide receiver talent, but um, he's become our deep ball guy. So I would say I like the comparison to Monty Tumor for sure. Imagine if there's like that offense, you put Jalen Hyatt and Darius Slayton 
on the outside. Like, both those guys legit threats to go deep. And then you put someone coming over the middle, like, as, a you know, one of the top slot receivers coming over the middle. Like, think about how Waller. difficult that's going to be to defend. Especially because you know Daniel Jones can throw bombs now, especially how jacked he is. Um, Derek, welcome in. I was mentioning, I, I thought that you were going to, you were heading out to college this week, but it looks like you're in still in your room, so not having no, one for college week. yet. Next week, okay. Next week, yes, next week. We're we're getting there. Um, I guess I have the luxury of leaving late. I feel like every everyone who I know of who's going to school, it's like, oh, I've already left, or I'm leaving this week, or I left this weekend, and I'm just like, nah, I don't move until the thirty first, and my classes don't start till the day after Labor Day, so I'm just. I, I'm just chilling, I guess. I mean, I don't really. I, I, my mom made me get everything packed this past week, so I have everything except for like a couple sets of clothes and like everyday things to pack. So it, <laughs> I'm like base. So now I'm just sitting here like, okay, what the heck do I do? But there's a lot of thing. baseball to watch, and you watch your Diamondbacks, yeah. right? It's probably about time to turn off the Red Sox. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean. We'll see. <laughs> I, I can watch the Woo Sox. It's all right. So, Although Derek. Probably done by now. Any thoughts? Since we're on topic, thoughts on Darius Slayton? I like him. I, I think it's interesting when you look at the Giants wide receiver room because, obviously, Isaiah Hodgins had a very good end to last season. There's been a ton of, like, training camp hype on Jalen Hyatt. That's another name to watch. Uh, there's been a ton of hype on him. Um, and then even... Even guys like Wandale Robert, uh, Robinson, who's on the depth chart, is currently injured, but he's still a guy you look long-term for the Giants. I mean, you expect him to play a part, right? Uh, so it, it feels as almost like, it's like, okay, just who's going to step up to the plate? Uh, and when you look at when we look at Slayton, I think he's definitely a guy who can do that. I think the big thing for him is just going to be his ability to stay healthy because, I mean, you get injured early last year, I mean, what what's he really supposed to do, right? He gets injured, misses basically the whole year. Not his fault. Um, nothing he can really do about it. But I, I think looking at it, he's a very much needed piece for the Giants, right? Just like they added adding Darren Waller. That's a very much needed piece, right? They need more options than they had, and I think getting Slayton healthy gives them another option on top of also bringing in Darren Waller this offseason, on top of also getting Jalen Hyatt in the draft. I think that they're giving themselves more options. So it's not, well, we need to pick up a guy like Isaiah Hodgins on like at, on like, at, at like week 10 or week 11 or whatever it was. And then, oh, this guy's good. Like, you don't need that if you already have enough options in-house. And I think that's what the Giants are hoping for heading into this year, that they have their options so even if one or one or two guys gets goes down, they still have enough there. Um, there's no elite level receiver in that room, but they don't necessarily need it. They were good enough to make the postseason last year without it, without really any receivers besides Hodgins in the last couple of weeks. So they very well, I mean, improved core receiving. I think it's going to help Daniel Jones a lot. Michael, he made a great point there. We have lacked depth at wide receiver. For so long, and now we have a legitimate position battle. Guys trying to make the team a wide receiver. Yeah, yeah I was gonna say it's uh, likely. Uh, I would say we, we'll we'll take it because, like you said, it's been rough the last few years. I mean, uh, Slayton has been like the number one guy. Uh, 
So it's nice to see that, you know, it doesn't have to maybe, you know, with all that weight on his shoulders, he doesn't have to carry the wide receiver room. Um, another acquisition they got this year, too, that I think is expected to be a, you know, at least a, a play a role on this team is Paris Campbell. Uh, he's an Ohio State guy. So I've seen him play in college ball, and I think he's going to do well, um, especially in this offense. I think he's, you know, him, like uh, Derek said, Wando Robinson, uh, season got cut a little short, I think, last year with injury, but he seemed to be like he was like kind of figuring out that offense a little bit. So um, they definitely went for a speed route. Like they don't have like these big Mike Evans built Megatron built receivers, but they got some like quick, fast run a slant and get up field kind of receivers, which I mean, is only going to help Daniel Jones get the ball quicker. So I'll take it. Yeah, that's true. I forgot all about, I forgot all, all about both those guys, Paris Campbell and Wandale Robinson, just, two more guys that you could just really rely on. And um, like we were talking about a minute ago, like you're going to have, you're going to be able to have depth on the, on the outside for guys that can just speed, that can go deep. You're going to have depth on the inside at not only wide slot receiver, but at tight end of guys that can go over the middle. And you saw Saquon Barkley in the backfield and Daniel Jones with the ability to run. I think teams are going to have a hard time defending the Giants this year. So I want to jump in. Uh, I had some other touch on other parts of the league because I just, it's the NFL and I love talking NFL. So um, I thought I have a couple questions I wanted to ask you guys. We'll start this one. Michael, you, you go first and we'll go to Derek uh, because this one's Cincinnati-based, Cincinnati Bengals. Um, throughout my life, I have never really seen the Cincinnati Bengals do right by their team. I, I don't know. And now they have... Just one of the most exciting, best quarterbacks in the NFL, and Joe Burrow, who has struggled to stay upright because they can't put an offensive line around him. So, Michael, you're there. I know you're a Giants fan, but I'm sure you do consume quite a bit of Cincinnati Bengals. Do you trust the Cincinnati Bengals to be able to protect Joe Burrow, or are you seriously consider concerned about his health going forward? Um... Yes and no. I trust that the Cincinnati Bengals, um, for example, I think Joe Burrow's uh, good enough. You know, we saw it last year. He, you know, when he figured out that his offensive line wasn't going to be what they expected it to be by bringing in those two new guys, Orlando Brown and uh, the other guy. Um, I think when he he started getting the ball or getting rid of the ball, like within two, three seconds of you know, when he got it. So I think that helped. Um, I think that they started realizing, like, oh, we can't run these five-second, six-second, you know, dropbacks because, you know, that's when he's running for his life. But they started running these two, you know, two quick steps and throw plays, and I think that's when they started taking off because they did start a little slow last year. So um, I think that that's the biggest key. I think, like, yes, like, I think the Bengals are going to be all right. No, I don't think they fixed their offensive line problems. Um, I think, you know, on third and longs, they are going to be in trouble. He's got to sit back there in the pocket. Um but I, you know, I think Joe Burrow is good enough. I think the receiver core is good enough, and I think they're, you know, the third, fourth year head coach is smart enough to realize like this is what we got, this is what worked for us. Why switch it? Derek, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll add to that and say that like Burrow's definitely good enough to be able to deal with the subpar offensive line. But the question is for me is more so is how long are the Bengals really going to want to have him sit behind a bad offensive line or at least a subpar one and, you know, potentially take more hits than he needs to. 
Um, or even if he's not taking more hits, okay, now your offense isn't as effective because he's throwing the ball away or get, he's getting down because he, because he doesn't want to get hit by some, you know, got some like who like every guy in the NFL is like 6'6", 270, running like a 4'340 at this point. So, like, it's not going to be comfortable if you get hit by those guys, um, regardless of who they are. So... I, I think the I think the thing is like yes Burrow's good enough to handle that situation if the offensive line struggles. I think like I think the Bengals offensive line I would at least I would hope they'd be better. I mean, when you bring in a bunch of guys to an offensive line, like I think it does take time to kind of learn how to play together. I think it's very much a group thing. Like if you bring in one guy, okay, but when you're bringing in you know three or four guys to an offensive line, like. It does. I think it does take a little bit of time for all those guys to kind of gel and get on the same page twenty like the whole time and always be on the same page. So I think this year the offensive line should be better. Is it going to be as good as the Bengals want it to be? That's to be seen. Um, but I think all you can ask out of them right now is just be better because we've seen how close the Bengals have been to get it, making a run in the playoffs, and they might just be a better offensive line away from maybe even winning a Super Bowl. I yeah, I think for the money they're gonna about they're about to have to pay Joe Burrow, you have to invest in that offensive line, and not even just the players. You have to invest in the coaching. You have to go out and find the best offensive line coach you could possibly bring in, and bring him in um, because this is a team that has never won a Super Bowl and now has the opportunity to win a Super Bowl. And to take it a step further, if Joe Burrow does end up taking less money to ensure that Jamar Chase gets paid, which I, I don't know, Michael, if you've heard that rumor, uh, you have probably have a better idea than I would, but I've heard that's a rumor, which would make sense. I know those guys are tight. If he does that, then you even owe it to him even more to ensure that that offensive line is taken care of. So it's it's not only about the players, it's about the coaching, and that has to be an absolute priority in Cincinnati because if you do give Joe Burrow the time, I don't think there's anybody. I think he can beat anybody. This kid's, this kid's amazing. For his, him and Patrick Mahomes um, are the new Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. And I just hope uh, right now, you know, Patrick Mahomes is more on the Tom Brady side because he's got the Super Bowls. I really hope Joe Burrow gets at least two Super Bowls like Peyton Manning did, if not more. And hopefully more of a participant than Peyton Manning was because obviously Eli's older brother did not do a heck of a lot to help win that second Super Bowl. But, by, of course, but I take nothing away from Eli's brother. So I'm really proud of Eli's brother. I was a fan of him. And, um, you know, I do feel bad to be Eli's brother because he'll, he'll never really ever live up to Eli and how good Eli was. So <laughs> that being said, uh, Derek, your turn to go first on this one. Uh, one thing I thought this was interesting because this has been going on for a while. Mike Tomlin, has, in the Steelers, as the Steelers coach, has a streak of every single year being the coach. He has had an over a 500 or better record. And now it's, you know, it's going to be better than I th- one year 500. I think every other year was above 500. Do you think it continues this season? Because there's a lot of questions on this I have about the Steelers. What do you think? I'm very high on the Steelers entering this year. I think that they'll have not that they'll have no problem being over 500, but I'm very confident in their ability to finish over 500 this year. I think 
by the time we get to the end of the season, people are going to look at that Steelers team and go, why were we questioning the fact that they'd be over 500 or not? Like, I, I, I do have faith in this Steelers team. I, like, you have, if TJ Watt stays healthy, he's a game changer for that defense. Just by himself, he's a game changer. So if he stays healthy, that's like key number one. Uh, they bringing in Pat Peterson. I mean, he was great last year. Um, so bringing him is nice. Uh, the Joey Porter Jr. pick in the draft. I mean, perfect. Just per- <laughs> like it, like it's probably was the most fitting pick of the draft this past year. It just made sense. Like if you could have drawn it up heading into the draft, you would have drawn it up as. Joey Porter Jr. going to the Steelers, and that's what ended up happening. Um, but it, it's not just the defense. Like I, I like the offense. Deontay Johnson, I think, very underrated year last year. Uh, he had no touchdowns last year, which was really weird. Uh, but he got a ton of volume. Um, George Pickens, just the highlight reel catches. He should be even better in his second year, second year in the league. Um, I think Kenny Pickett's going to be good. I think Kenny Pickett is going to very much take a jump because of the weapons around him. You also have Fearmuth there, um, Najee Harris. Uh, their th- who's going to be their third wide receiver? I mean, it looks like Allen Robinson, which I don't know how much that really says. doesn't really say much to me, but, like, at the same time, uh, like, I-, I think this is a team that finished last year very well and is going to, like, has some good momentum from the end of last year and is only going to kind of Keep the, get the get the momentum rolling this year, and very much will be. No, they're not gonna. I don't think they're gonna win the division by any means. But I think they'll definitely be a lot more competitive than people expect. They'll they will keep things close, and I think they definitely will finish over five hundred this year. I don't see any reason why not. Uh, the only way I can see is like T.J. Watt gets injured like week one and out for the year, and then their defense just turns to be crap. Which even if he does get injured, I don't see their defense being terrible. Michael, I know you're uh, in an AFC North town. What are your thoughts on the Steelers? Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with Derek. Uh, I think they're definitely going to finish over 500. I know Vegas has their win total at nine. Uh, so, you know, they think they're going to finish over 500. There's no reason why Mike Tomlin has ever given us a reason why they're going to finish over 500. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Kenny Pickett led them. You know, they finished the season six with, you know, six and one record the last seven games. So, I mean, I think they were definitely clicking, you know, starting to click um, as a, with their young talent. I think George Pickens is going to definitely make a leap this year, uh, which is, you know, another second-year guy that, um, you know, just kind of like one of those, like, bully wide receivers. He seems to uh, just play like, you know, like, you know, it's a man's sport. He seems like he plays a man's sport. Uh, so I like that about him. But um, I, I don't think they're going to win the division, but I definitely think they make a wild card and it's going to be one of those teams you don't want to face, you know, a uh, wild card weekend, that's for sure. Wow, I'm a complete. I, I don't. I don't. I think they still. How do I put this? I definitely am not like as con, uh, convinced on the Steelers as you guys are, and I know history tells me I should be. Um, you know, and for a lot of the reasons, that defense alone should keep them. Should keep them in every single game. Every game is going to be within reach because of that defense, and yeah, there's a lot of offensive weapons on that team as well. Um, and I think it all comes down to Kenny Pickett and who. Look, you're right. They did go on a really good run at the end of the last season. Um, 
that being said, I just want to see the consistency out of Kenny Pickett. I do think he's in a good good situation having played college football at Pittsburgh. I feel like there's probably a comfort level there for him. Uh, I think the Steelers are the best place he could possibly be playing in the NFL. Um, I don't think I don't think he would be. I think his best chance for success is in Pittsburgh, and I'm just curious to see whether it happens. I'm not 100% convinced he can do it. I think he, I think he can, but I think things might also go wrong. I think there's always going to be that chance that he can take a step back, and if Kenny Pickett takes a step back, there's a chance that just the Steelers could lose a lot of close games. Um, <clears throat> the Giants lost a lot of – there's a few years ago where the Giants were losing close game after close game – uh, I just see that as a potential for the Pittsburgh Steelers this year. <coughs> you muted, John. Sorry, guys. I'm starting to lose my voice. I'm going to start talking a little bit less for the rest of this, and I'm going to let you guys take it from here. Um, I wanted to talk really quick. Uh, we were talking about doing over-unders and starting here in the AFC North. Uh, we just did the Steelers. You guys both gave the Steelers as an over. I'm going to go the opposite way. I'm going to say the under. Uh, there's, I'm not 100%. I wouldn't bet on it, uh, but I'm just going to say gut instinct. I think the Steelers, maybe Kenny Pickett just takes a step back. So really quick, we'll do uh, the Bengals next. Bengals over-under. Eleven and a half, <coughs> which is tough because, like, that, that's a, that's high. I mean, like, they're, the the AFC North is kind of like the NFC East. They're just going to beat each other up. Um, you got a lot of good defenses and a lot of history that don't really like each other. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. That's, that's tough. I would definitely want to sleep on that because the Bengals are definitely good enough to to hit eleven and a half or get over eleven and a half. But, you know, again, it goes back to how well do they protect Joe Burrow? You know, do they stay healthy all year? So that's definitely one of those numbers I might even lead under. I don't know what you think, Derek, but. The thing with 11 and a half, like, it's not, like, an easy number. Like, that's the thing. Like, because, like, the thing with, like, you, like, part of me wants, does want to say over on the Bengals, but, like, you're not in an easy division. Like. So, okay, so, like, I don't think they're winning 14, 15, 16, 17 games. I think that's out of the question. I don't even know if they win 13. So, if I'm saying over, I'm kind of saying it's 12 or bust, right? Uh, although, they're also the Bengals. I definitely think they could win 12 games. Uh, and and that's the thing that's very much annoying about 11 and a half line. We're going with 11 and a half line on them. Uh, because... I think the division will be better. They finished 12-4 and four last year, obviously. They had the game against the Bills that didn't count. Um, so, they're 12-4 and four with one game that was unplayed. I'm going to go with the over and hope and pray that they go over, <laughs> just for my sake. Um, but I don't think it's going to be over by a lot. I think they'll just scrape over. I think they're too good to only win, like, 10 games. I think they'll probably get 12, maybe 13, but I would say 12 is probably the sweet spot for them. I feel I think so too. I'm taking the over on the Bengals. I just I'm really high on that team. And as long as long as Joe Burrow is healthy, that's a team that's gonna win games. So 
Um, we'll go next. We'll go with the Ravens next. Ravens. Over under 10 and a half. Uh, Michael, you went first last time, right? So, Derek, over under Ravens 10 and a half. 10 and a half. I'm trying to debate, too, about this division because I'm trying to think, okay, we got teams in this division. How, do I think all four of them are going to be over 500? And if that's my answer, if my answer to that is yes, then I don't think the – I don't know if I have the Ravens winning more than 10 and a half. Um, so them winning 11 is a lot. I'm a little bit worried about OBJ. Um, hasn't played in over a year, and what's the knee like? I have no clue. I know they have other options. They have Bateman and Zay Flowers. Both guys are still really young. Nelson Aguilar is just, like, I don't even care about him. Um, <laughs> so there's that. Um, Duvernay is more of kind of a return guy for the – so, like, the receiving core is still not a, that deep. Um, you do have Mark Andrews at tight end and Isaiah Likely. I would be more interested in them if they ran more two tight end schemes. I think they have two really good tight ends. I don't think they do that, though. Um, I don't see it, at least. I don't see them doing it, uh, doing enough of it. Um, I like J.K. Dobbins in, in the backfield, but like it all does come down to Lamar and what he can do. I'm going to go under on the 10, 10 and a half wins. I love their defense. I just, I'm a little worried about health-wise offensively, too. That's like that's the big thing for me. I don't know if OBJ, you have, can he say Hadley, J.K. Dobbins, like, and then you're relying on a rookie in Zay Flowers and a guy in Rashad Bateman who's, what, in his third year? And, like, they're both young, so I'm going to go under. But, like I said, same thing with the Bengals. Not by much, but I'm going to go under instead of over. Yeah, no. uh, I agree with you, um, and pretty much for the exact same reasons. Um, I, th- I mean, I think they, you know, had their hands tied with the Lamar situation. I think, you know, they kind of were forced to bring him back. I mean, what else were you gonna do? Um, if you know, you got the the talent you have on defense, it's almost like the Jets. Like you kind of had a this is your window. You got like a top three, maybe top five defense. I mean, you, you gotta go. You gotta go get some talent on offense and make some noise, but. Uh, like you know, they play in a tough division. I think it's one of the tougher divisions in the whole AFC, um, if not the toughest, the second t- toughest in the AFC. Um, and you know, you got the Bengals and the Steelers that we've talked about getting better this year. Um, who knows what the Browns are going to be? But I, I'm going to say under. Um, I don't. Lamar's coming off the injury. OBJ is coming off of you know career of injury. Um, could just be me being mad at Odell for not going back to the Giants and reuniting with Saquon, but. Um, I don't know. I, I don't see it. I don't see it. In the, if you're going to be third or possibly fourth in the division. For me, I actually am going to go over. I think they win 11 games. And I think I think that part of that reason is I I just get this gut instinct they're going 2-0 against Pittsburgh this year. Uh, I do think... I, I, I don't know. I Kind of what Derek said a minute ago to echo that. I do think think they need to do a lot more two tight end sets and I if they haven't figured that out themselves people should be fired because it's pretty obvious that when Mark Andrews is your number one target Isaiah Likely is an incredibly talented tight end like they have to know that that's really going to be their best bet um so I think them going I see them getting 11 wins because I see them winning two against Pittsburgh, and I see them winning two against Cleveland. So that's going to bring in so our last one, Cleveland Browns, nine and a half wins. I'm going the under. I think they're the Cleveland Browns. I think 
the football gods have not forgiven Deshaun Watson. I think he's just going to struggle again. I think the Cleveland Browns are just going to do Cleveland Browns things. And I think, you know, Cleveland Browns, nine and a half. Like, I would expect a seven-win team, maybe even a six-win team, knowing the Browns. But, Michael, what do you think? Uh, yeah, under just because, I mean, I think the I think all three teams in the division are better than them. Um, I definitely think they get – Probably, I mean, I don't know. They beat each other up, but I, even if you go, even if you go one and one with your whole division, um, that's still six wins. You know, I'm pretty sure they're in the upper half of tougher uh, uh, schedules this year, if I'm not mistaken. But um, I don't know. I don't see it. I don't think they built enough around Deshaun. I think the pieces they do have, like Miles Garrett. I mean, I think you know, it's one of those things where he's only going to be in his prime for so long. So. Um, I don't know. I, I I'd go under as well. This Browns team really is going to rely on one thing: is it Deshaun Watson? Deshaun Watson any good still? Like that's what it. That's what they're relying on. Is Deshaun? Are we going to get the Deshaun Watson with the Houston Texans, or are we going to get the Deshaun Watson we saw last year? That's the make or break for this team. Um, the number was eight and a half. I'd probably go over. Um, I think there's I think there's a very good shot all four teams in this division are over 500. Uh, I think there's a very good chance all like you can see three teams in the nine to, in the nine to ten nine or ten wins um, in this division and then you probably have the Bengals at like 12. Uh, but I am going to go uh, under on the Browns at nine and a half. That's a little high. Um, like, like obviously Nick Chubb is. One of the best, if not the best, running backs in the NFL. Some people say he's best. Some people uh, have other go other directions in that, but he's up there definitely. Um, Amari Cooper, Elijah Moore, uh, Donovan Peoples Jones, very solid receiving core. You have David Njoku at tight end. Um, so, uh, not like a, they have a decent offensive line, um, at least in terms of names. So I mean, they're all recognizable names. So you would hope they play well. Um, and obviously Miles Garrett is a game wrecker. Getting Zadarius Smith on the other side should be an update upgrade from Jadavion Clowney because he, he only had two sacks last year. Um, and obviously having Denzel Ward eh, and keeping him healthy for a whole year would be massive for them. Uh, but also, too, their punter, uh, Corey, whatever the heck your last name is because I can't pronounce it and never have been able to, um, every kicker that he holds for, just has like career worst years whenever he's holding for them and in the preseason Cade York has not looked great with him holding uh, I think that could potentially lose the Browns a couple games so I'm going under alright so we all agree on that with the Browns I think it, they're the Browns they have to prove themselves um, so last thing before we get out of here um, Derek, you had a point on the Little League World Series, so let's hear what you had to say. Okay, so I'll preface this with, with I understand why they're doing it, but that doesn't mean I don't hate it because I 100% hate it. So the Little League World Series heading into this year, they made a new rule where for the game, every single per- player in on your team has to go in the batting order. So if you have 13 players, your batting order goes 1 to 13. 
Yes. Wait, what? I, I didn't. I'm sorry. I don't follow the Little League World Series at all. Do you? So it's not nine hitters. It's thirteen hitters in the lineup. Not anymore. It's however many players you have on your team. So that's idiotic. Here's the here's the example I want to give you. Right. One team has fourteen players. The other the other team. Oh, a couple guys got injured. They only have twelve players now. Now their lineup's only twelve hitters, and the other team's four, got fourteen hitters. Wait, how do you get hurt in what? What were their injuries in Little League Baseball? No, like, I'm just say, I'm, I'm using this as that? a hypothetical though. Oh, okay, I'm using okay. It as a hypothetical though. Okay, like, I okay, I get it. But say so you have like my Little League teams. We always had thirteen on our on our teams. We had one year a guy, one kid like broke their hand doing like something stupid. I think I think they broke their hand at like a sky zone playing dodgeball. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever. I also, I also, I also here in Florida. I had a, I, there was someone who like messed up their ankle playing basketball at their school, like during gym class. You know, get get, but but like under these new rules, if your team's down a player, it's an advantage because you don't have to put them in the batting order. If, so if they're not, if they're not good, you're at an advantage because you have one less bad player in your lineup. I'm not, I'm not saying all these because they're bad, but like, I'm the point is. Is that it's stupid? Like they already had minimum requirements that you had to play two innings in the field and have one at bat, or one well, one plate appearance. So everyone was gonna at least play. But in terms of equality, yeah, it's equal. But like, in a this is a sport. It's not meant to be equal. Like the best players get to play more. Look, you look at basketball. Why do you think LeBron James plays forty minutes a game and some random bench warmer maybe gets it on the game every other game? Only gets on the court every other game. It's not fair. It's sports, right? So for me personally, like if I was running a little league team, I'd just take the nine best players, maybe add like one guy on the bench, and say we're running with ten. Like we don't want extra players on our team. Just take your ten best. One guy's on the bench. You put nine in the field, and you have a lineup of ten. Like, and and what makes it worse because it makes the games worse for the viewer. The amount of two to one games I've seen, or three to two, or three to one, it's instead of your maybe your six to four game, because the team started the nine hitter got on base and then the one two three comes up and you they score a couple runs, yeah the nine hitter gets on base now you got ten eleven twelve thirteen behind them, like what are we doing? And then it makes the whole pinch running rule even ten twenty times more complicated, because. You don't have anyone on your bench because they're all in the lineup. So to pinch run for someone, it, it, it just makes it like 20 times worse in my opinion. Like everyone had to play anyways. But now we're doing this whole, well, everyone should get the same amount of bets. It, it's ridiculous to my opinion. Like you're, I it's don't, the Little League World Series. Yeah, I, have, I don't follow the Little League World Series at all. The only time in my life I followed it was when Trumbull, Connecticut, won the Little League World Series with uh, Chris Drury, who ended up playing for the New York Rangers. Um, other than that, I, I just, I've never cared about the Little League World Series. I remember watching a 30 for 30 a couple years ago about that, where um, just the kids, like the kid that was the star of the Little League World Series, not the Danny Almonte one. It was the one, it was like a Little League World Series from way back. And the guy was like, he was a good pitcher at twelve, but like in a, in a lot of, it was just it cast a bad light on um, the Little League World Series. Uh, so there's a good thirty for thirty about that, and I think yeah. thirty for thirty did a Danny Almonte one too. But 
I've never really followed it, but I do think that's stupid. I think it's insanely stupid. It's yeah. baseball, nine hitters, you don't use 13. Like, what are you teaching these kids? Like, it's stupid. Well, oh, it's annoying, and what makes it even worse is, so, like, a few years, uh, this had to have been, like, six years ago by now, but they changed the age rules. So what used to happen is if you started the season as a 12-year-old but you turned 13 before the season was done, you would still be allowed to play in the Little League World Series, which is supposed to be 11- and 12-year-olds. It's supposed to be twelve and under, but if you just but if you hadn't turned thirteen before the season starts, you could still play. They now changed the rule because they had these thirteen year olds who were like six foot tall throwing eighty miles per hour, and they were just like, uh, no, you're not playing anymore. They changed the age rules, so now you can't be twelve until like the season's over, which so now you I think you have to like you have to you can't turn I mean you can't turn thirteen until the season's over. So like you have to like, you have to, can't turn 13 until, like, the December or the January of next year or something stupid like that. So now the players who are playing in it are a year less developed, a year less of skill, a year less of playing, a year less of experience. It makes it, in my opinion, the spectacle of it lessens, and it's not comparable to what it was even just 10 years ago. There's a totally different game of baseball being played there now and it's just it's watering it down in my opinion you're watering it down too much and at some point is it going to even be baseball at some point are you just going to put four outfielders and put five infielders because everyone needs to be on the field yeah i think it's stupid i don't even think it should really be televised these are kids i don't think um, maybe the final games or whatever should be televised, but I'm not a big fan of even putting the kids on TV and putting them in that spotlight. Uh, I don't really think it's fair to them. And now doing this, it's just it doesn't sound fair. But um, that's it for the night. Uh, John, I didn't mention it, but I am fighting off a sinus infection, and my voice is starting to go. I got to get inside. Uh, so we're going to uh, wrap it up there. It was an awesome night. That was a great I had a great time talking, especially the NFL. Um, so with that, uh, I'm John. We got Michael and Derek. And once again, thanks for listening to Bleacher Brawls. Uh, you can catch us on YouTube on BleacherBrawls.com. You know, pretty much anywhere you consume media. Uh, once again, thanks for listening and uh, have a good one, guys.